Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show. Once again, and as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio today are two guests, Jillian Evans, who works at a national security think tank in Washington, D.C., and her girlfriend, Lucy Mueller, a video producer and freelance writer in Los Angeles, California. Jillian, Lucy, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, uh, both for coming on the show and for having such impressive sounding bios. Um, I think, I'm not 100% sure, you guys may be the first or at least one of only a handful of couples uh, who have come on the show to give advice together as a unit. And I wanted to know, what is your strategy? Are you guys going to be united? Are you guys going to learn that there are serious rifts in your own relationship as you give differing advice? Oh, boy. What's the What's the strategy? Um, well, I do know that Jillian had us do some sprints in the weeks leading up to this where we would uh, read sample questions and then give our own advice styles uh, just to get warmed up. She's not lying. That's true. That is <laughs> so is beautiful. something we did. You know, the, the couple that gives practice advice together stays together. Uh, and, and what was the tone? Did you guys find that you often agreed or did you find that occasionally you butted heads? I think we thought that I was going to be bad caught because I sometimes have a dearth of feelings. And... You do also have on a leather jacket. <laughs> <laughs> And Lucy has an abundance of feelings, so we thought she would be the squishy one. I think it turned out that um, uh, I was less mean and Lucy was um, less squishy feelings than I think we anticipated. We've learned a lot about ourselves in this process. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's find out a little bit more. We're ready. We've all got sensible shoes on. (laughs) Um, Our our hearts and minds are open. Uh, Let's tell other people how to live their lives, shall we? Fantastic. Would one of you like to read our very first letter? Uh, Yeah, I can do that. All right, so the subject is to halal or not. Dear Prudence, I will be fostering a five-year-old child of a distant relative. Jay has been physically and emotionally abused and neglected, although not, quote, severely enough for the authorities to intervene. While Jay has been staying with me for once or twice a week, I cooked meals that would cater to his family's Islamic dietary requirements. Now that he's staying with me long term, I cannot realistically do this on a daily basis. My husband and I are both working parents and have three other children to look after. We eat pork regularly, and buying halal meat would be a weekly inconvenience. Jay's parents asked if I could do seafood or vegetarian meals. This would be ill-suited for the rest of the family. I've told Jay's parents I can make sure Jay doesn't eat pork, but will not guarantee halal meat. They are now upset with me, although not upset enough to raise Jay by themselves, and are causing a huge stink. If Jay was older and eating halal meat was something personally important to him, that would be a different consideration but I don't want to go out of my way to cater to his parents' beliefs, particularly as they are awful parents anyway. What is the reasonable solution here? Cook Jay halal meals. (laughs) (laughs) Next. (laughs) I I, I wanted to start us off with a real easy one. Uh, Cook Jay halal meals. Yeah, I was surprised at um, how much the letter writer feels burdened by this requirement, especially given, you know, if the kid had an allergy, you wouldn't be like, well, the allergy is kind of inconvenient. You can be itchy some of the time. Like it, I yeah, I just I thought that the way that the letter writer framed the amount of the the burden here was was a little disingenuous. Yeah, I I, I certainly think that there's a lot of other um, 
feelings, resentments, backstories here that are kind of clouding the issue. It's very clear that the letter writer uh, is doing the lion's share of the cooking for the family and that their husband does not appear to be cooking. That's obviously frustrating and possibly something in your marriage that needs to change, especially as y'all take on um, parenting another child. Um, It's very clear that you resent Jay's parents deeply, which uh, sounds extremely reasonable given the fact that they have uh, abused and neglected their child. Um, I understand that. I relate to that. Um, None of that has anything to do with whether or not you should continue to offer Jay halal meals um, in the religious tradition in which he is being raised. And the answer to that is simply yes. Um, He has not forfeited the right to continue to experience his own heritage and to practice his own religion, even at a very young age, um, just because his parents are, you know, bad parents. Um, (laughs) I I, I get that it's frustrating and inconvenient. That's very clear. It's still the right thing to do. So, um, you know, you say that cooking like vegetarian food would be inconvenient for the rest of the family, but I'm not really sure how because you know, people who eat meat can also eat vegetarian food. So you can simply eat those in addition to your non-halal meat that y'all enjoy um, and do this for this little kid who's already been through a lot and would probably appreciate some consistency and stability. Um, and just, we, just we, do live in, we live in the gig economy right now, which makes it really easy to get groceries delivered. You know, there, there's so many pathways to halal meals that we haven't even explored yet. Yeah, I, I mean, uh, you know, your husband can take on more of the like weekly burden of shopping and preparing food. Um, you know, your other children and, and even Jay can do the same thing. Like five-year-olds can help out in the kitchen. They can help set the table. Um, absolutely. It is an adjustment, um, but it is not uh, it, it is not an undue burden. And this, this child has a right to continue like being raised in his heritage. Like he has already suffered a lot from parents who have failed to meet the expectations of good parenting. Um, and, and I think it would really help this child um, if you continue to do for him what you have already been doing. And if you're not getting the help and resources that you need in order to do that from your partner, um, you need to ask for it. Um, I understand that you're incredibly frustrated with these people. I get it. I I would be too in your position. And I can also imagine this kind of sense of they have forfeited any and all rights to have any say in how their child is raised by virtue of their abuse and neglect. Um, But their religion uh, is not a part of that abuse and neglect. Um, And this kid has been through a lot. Um, And uh, part of your responsibility as a parent is is to help keep him in touch with his roots. Um, And I think this is one of those situations where Sometimes uh, people who adopt or foster a child, um, especially in really painful circumstances, can kind of feel like I'm doing such a generous thing. I'm such a good person that anything above and beyond what's easy for me is a gift to this child. And I just really would caution you against that mindset. Um, He should not be grateful to you. Um, He has been failed by a lot of people and he deserves these things. He has the right to these things. Um, So don't think of this as like, God, I'm already like throwing away so much of like my own free time, uh, which is not to say that you're not making like a genuine sacrifice, but um, there's often that mindset of like, wow, I'm like really stepping up. And so anything I do should be considered like icing on the cake. Um, And I don't think that's a good position to take towards a child who has been suffering. So cook this kid halal meals. Um, Don't like, don't, don't kill yourself creating like elaborate five course dinners for everybody. (laughs) Um, But figure out a way with your partner um, to put together something that he can eat. Um, and there's there's 
lots of ways for y'all to like have pork and for him to have um, seafood or uh, lentils and you know rice and uh, vegetables and tofu or or anything else that would meet his dietary requirements. Honor that. It's easy. And to that not, point, no, sorry, it's not easy. It's simple. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> Um, and to that point, um, I know this is kind of out scope, outside the scope of the letter, but I do want to just raise the point. You know, his cultural heritage and his religion is more than just dietary restrictions. So I really hope that um, in addition to honoring the dietary restrictions that come with his um, with his religion and his cultural background, that you're also sort of keeping in mind sort of the broader 360 degree about honoring um, what are the other things about his faith um, that are also going to be important for you to take into account and to cultivate and foster um, as he lives with you. Yeah. And I'm really glad that he's with you. I'm I'm really glad that he is with people who will not abuse and neglect him. I'm really grateful and glad that he has you guys in his life. Um, I hope that yeah, you can treat him with the love and respect and honor that he deserves. Um, and I hope that you guys are able to find simple strategies uh, for making this work because it is not... Um, it's not going to ruin your life. I promise you, you're not going to like wreck your monthly budget and never have time for yourself ever again by cooking halal meals for a five-year-old kid. Uh, it's it's going to be all right. So uh, we're starting off with an easy one. We're going to get progressively uh, a little <laughs> trickier. Uh, the subject of this next letter is happy independent lady, which sounds great, right? There's like not a problem. Um, I'm sure it's, someone's just writing in to let us know how happy she is. <laughs> Dear Prudence, I'm a 29-year-old woman. I have a rich social network, a solid career, and I own my own home. I bought my house with an ex we split about a year ago. I bought him out of the house and now own it by myself. I'm happy with my living situation. But recently, I was out to dinner with my parents, and they expressed a lot of concern. They told me that they think I need to find a roommate. I greatly prefer living on my own and can afford to do so. I was rather offended at their interference. I didn't ask their opinion on the matter, and they can't see why it bothers me that they can't accept the fact that I can make the best decisions for myself regarding my living situation. They see my hurt as a rejection of their love and care for me. Quote, they only worry because they care. This has caused a great rift in a relationship that was already strained. They so often cast judgment on my decisions or interject their opinions about how I should be living my life. And when I tell them this bothers me, all they can talk about is how they only worry because they love me and get upset that I can't appreciate their love. Their worry isn't helpful. I'm having trouble setting this boundary, and I don't know how to get them to understand me or change their behavior. Okay, so there's slightly a problem. <laughs> a little bit. For me, the the first thing I thought was well. First of all, congratulations on owning a home in your mid twenties or late twenties um, from from a twenty eight year old who does not. That's a huge accomplishment, uh, and you should be proud of that. Hey, congratulations on being twenty eight. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I worked long and hard for it. Um, but also, I mean, this just kind of reminded me. I've had this issue before sometimes with parents or other people in my life who love me and worry about me, and, and basically. The, the main thing is is you don't need someone else to accept your boundaries for you to to set them and uh, there it is <laughs> <laughs> and I think the main thing is 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 uh no one telling someone else how to live their life is going to be really effective, so you can just simply say, um thank you, but this is a decision I'm happy with and and that's it, yeah, I think obviously it's always great to try to communicate effectively with your relatives, especially your parents. Um, and it's also fine to set limits in terms of you can't continue to bring something up once I've already made myself really clear. Um, but I do think to a certain extent, the the goal of getting your parents to understand you is one that you should let go of in some ways. Um, 
your parents will not always understand you. And that's fine. Like, uh, it, it sounds like part of what's really hard for you is you feel like unless and until my parents can completely understand what I what I like about living alone and think that it's a good idea, we can't be close. Um, and I think a better way of approaching this is just to say, if my parents are baffled by the fact that I enjoy living alone, and if they get a little worked up and, uh, you know, to my mind, a little paranoid about my safety, that's fine. Um, that's them. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to manage that. I don't have to fix that for them. I get to say, thanks for your input. I love living alone. That's it. Um, and you, you don't have to like go back and forth over it endlessly. You don't have to convince them that you are doing the right thing. You can just say, you know, kindly, but blandly. "Hmm, Thanks for saying that. I actually love living alone. And that's not a fight, right? That's not like I have to convince you like as if I were a teenager again that I am mature enough to make this decision. And you do have to see it from my point of view. Um, just uh, that's an interesting thought, mom and dad. Love living alone. Don't plan on getting a roommate. And they might say things like, but we worry. And you can just say, oh, that's really sweet of you. I'm not worried. And that'll feel kind of bananas because it'll be like, if they're worried, my job is to fix that worry. Um, and it's not. They can worry. And that's not your problem. I've got nothing to add, to be honest. (laughs) The only thing that I would think about a little bit more deeply is it sounds like their relationship is already kind of strained and they're already sort of caught up in this loop of they express worry and concern to the letter writer. Uh, The letter writer tries to say, hey, when you offer a lot of opinions or uh, unsolicited advice, it makes me feel like you don't trust me. And they say, well, we kind of don't trust you, but it's because we love you. So it's fine. And that kind of goes on and on. Um, And again, I think that's probably not something you're going to be able to completely stop your parents from doing. But I do think that there are ways that you can try to let go of certain expectations. Um, And also when they say things like we worry or we have an opinion, um, not just like my advice to you is just don't care. Um, But but let that go a little bit, I think, is probably going to be a better strategy for you is just to say like, well, I see that you worry because you care. I appreciate hearing it. I don't worry. I also care about me. Here's how I'm handling it you know, let's move on to another subject uh, and and just kind of, you know, gently but firmly say, the subject's closed. Um, I hear you. I'm listening. I get it. I'm taking it under advisement. I'm making my own choices. And that doesn't mean that they'll never do it. But I think that you can maybe think of that just in terms of like, yeah, this is kind of how my parents are. I don't have to do anything about it. Um, I don't have to convince them of something else. I can just let them know that I hear them. Uh, but I'm going to be doing something else. And if that's really hard for them, you know, all right. You're you're 29. They're probably at least in their 50s. Like they they are adults with resources who can deal with their feelings of like it sounds like um you know unnecessary worry about yeah whether or not it's safe for you to own a home. Like I I think you're probably right. I think it's fine. Um I th- this is a little bit trollish, but I feel like if I got a roommate, all that that would mean is that the per- person likeliest to murder me would be living with me. <laughs> You're much more likely to be hurt by someone you already know. Read some crime statistics, mom and dad. You're asking me to invite my own death into my house? No, thank you. Yeah, well, I'm sure they'd be worried if she went to Craigslist to go find that random roommate to yeah. add into the house. Mom, dad, I met this guy outside of a bar, and he's looking for a place to live. And he's I've got of, one. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I wasn't sure if the letter writer – it wasn't clear if the parents were concerned for safety reasons or financial reasons. So the one last thing I would add is that if they're worried that she maybe is not able to support herself in the mortgage by herself and that's why she wants 
to get a roommate. To say also that you don't own or you don't owe anyone your financial details, even your parents, which is something I've also learned. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wasn't sure if, if it was just safety or if it was also assuring her parents that she was up to the task of upkeep and affording her own home, in which case she clearly is and does not need to over-explain that to her parents. Right. Yeah, and it is hard when your parents say, when we tell you our opinions, that's the way that we love you. And if you don't like that behavior, you must not want us to love you. And I think that is, again, something that you can kind of gently correct and say, um, I understand that you love me. I feel loved by you. Um, I also don't believe that when you tell me you don't think I can live alone, that that is the only way that you can express your love. So I reject uh, this like pairing that you're trying to foist upon me, which is that if I allow myself to be loved by you, I will also welcome constant criticism and suggestions. That is not the same thing. Um, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, but I'm fine. <laughs> well, we live in a, a ladybird world. You know, attention is I a have kind not of seen love. Ladybird. <gasps> Wow. <laughs> I have betrayed the sisterhood. <laughs> no, it's fine. Friends. It's fine. It's just a wonderful movie. But you'll life is long and, and you know, there are lots of airplanes. Um. <laughs> I, I, my problem is, like, the idea of seeing, like, a kind of, like, quiet, thoughtful, insightful drama about a young teenage girl is never the sort of movie I want to watch <laughs> on an airplane. It's always... That's fair. Like, I just want to watch something with a lot of car right. chases. That's fair. Um, but... I, I promise if and when I get around to watching Lady Bird, I will be sure to let you both know. <laughs> Email us or your thoughts. Yeah. Done. All right. Would you be so good as to read our next letter? Absolutely. The subject is feeling foolish. Dear Prudence, I'm writing to you because none of my friends will tell me what to do, and I have no confidence in my own thoughts right now. I have a massive, awful, completely untenable crush on someone I've become friends with over the past couple of months. This friend is eight years older than me, married, and getting ready to have a baby, and also lives on the other side of the world, so my feelings are beyond hopeless. I'm a pretty lonely and socially anxious person who doesn't date or open up to people very often, so this is really unusually and completely debilitating for me. I love talking to her and value her friendship so much that the idea of stepping back from her is really scary to me. But it's becoming clear that I can't keep going like this either. How do I deal with this? Is there a way I can process my feelings like a grown-up without ruining this friendship, which has been so important and positive for me? My first reaction was, you don't have a friendship, um, unfortunately. And I hope that you have a friendship. You may have one in the future going forward. Um, For the other person, it may feel like a friendship, but I think— and you may derive a lot of the benefits of your relationships that are the same benefits you also get from friends. But I think what you have right now is sort of um, in, like unrequited, unrequited, requited, gosh, that's a hard word, romantic feelings for someone. Um, and I think that therefore it's going to be, I think every time that people always ask, well, how do I get over this without ruining the friendship? Hopefully one day sort of the friendship will be that might be something that you can achieve and get and work towards, but I don't think that that's going to be able to be your sort of near-term um, consideration as you as you try to try to come up with a solution here. Yeah, I, I really felt for this letter writer. Um, it was clear that she's in a lot of pain. 
um, and doesn't feel like she has the, this was an email and, and I, the person's name, um, I saw, I don't always know what the gender of the letter writer, but, um, you know, it's clear that she doesn't have a lot of people she can talk to about this. It's clear that in some ways she's felt kind of blindsided by this crush, um, and that she's already kind of down on herself for being lonely and socially anxious. And so the idea of cutting back on this connection feels really panic inducing of like, well, I don't really think all that highly of myself, so I don't mind being in a lot of pain. Like I can deal with that if I still can have this connection. And that's a really hard way to um, feel as you are trying to make decisions that are healthy and protect yourself. Um, So I I think the best ways to process your feelings like a grown-up letter writer are to find immediate, daily, practical, local ways to take care of yourself in your loneliness and your social anxiety. I think this is a letter that absolutely screams out for seeing a therapist. If you can afford one, um, and if there is one in your area, um, please start seeing one right now. Because having somebody confidential that you can speak to, uh, both about this crush and how it's affecting um, your life on a daily basis, but also about your broader feelings of loneliness and anxiety, how to foster meaningful connections, how to take care of yourself, that's something that a therapist can be incredibly helpful with. And knowing that you can share this with somebody who doesn't know this person or, or that you know who will not repeat it to anyone else um, it will help you immensely because implicit, I think, in your question is um, you, you, you don't say, should I tell her? But it's sort of how do I process my feelings? How do I deal with this? And, and I think you're aware. You say you know it's beyond hopeless, but I just want to be really clear um, you should not tell your friend about this. Um, that would not be wise or helpful or productive. I think we're all agreed there, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah as someone, I I mean, this sounds like a weird phrase. Growing up a lesbian, uh, <laughs> I've had many unrequited crushes on like straight friends um, that eventually would turn into friendship. Um, and I've also had unrequited crushes on gay people that never turned came into fruition. Mm-hmm. And I've found that in this case the best thing you can do is like a period of silence um is is kind of cutting yourself off from the person because it sounds like she's i mean she gets a lot from this relationship um and i totally understand that but she might need to start to cultivate the friendship she has and kind of lean back out from this it sounds like um the 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 subject of her crush uh is is about to have a really whirlwind time with a baby on the way and now is a good time to kind of take a graceful step back Right. Which doesn't mean you completely go radio silent, like you can still wish her well. Um, But you are, in some ways, I think it will be nice that she's about to get very busy with having a newborn um, because she's going to be less available. I have never had a friend had a baby and immediately become more available. That's not to say that everyone disappears to baby island, but she's not going to have more free time. Um, And you say that this is completely debilitating. So I I think it's going to be really important for you to take a big step back. I know that that feels really painful. Um, and that you love talking to her. But it's also true that you've only been close for a couple of months. And I think now is a great opportunity to scale back. Because if you don't, my guess is you will put yourself in a position where you are best friends with her for the next 20 years. Yeah. And it kind of kills you every day. And I don't want that for you. And I don't want that for her either. Um, one thing that is kind of nice about this, although it won't feel nice right now, is you were able to develop a really powerful connection with somebody on the other side of the world over a couple of months. And I think that that probably says something about your ability to foster connections with other people. And I think probably right now it kind of feels like it is because this other person is sort of magical and so special. And I'm sure that there are ways in which she is unique and your connection is unique. But it's also a really good sign uh, that there will probably be other friendships like this in the future. Um, 
multiple friendships, friendships with people who live a little bit more closely to you, possibly friendships that do have the possibility of turning into romance um, with people who are available and who are not already partnered and and having children um, and who have not displayed any romantic interest back. So um, I think take that step back, find a therapist, um, try to find little ways that you can cultivate um, relationships with the people you already know a little bit in your area, which is not like it's not easy to just like go make friends, um, but really dedicate some of the time that you would normally set aside for kind of pouring your heart and soul into this friendship, um, into developing strategies for managing your loneliness and anxiety um, here and now. Because you say that you know it's hopeless, um, but right now your actions don't communicate hopelessness. Your actions communicate. There's that little seed of hope that thinks, if I'm always available when she wants to talk, um, if I keep sharing these things with her, eventually she will feel what I feel for her um, and we'll be able to to have something um, where I get as much back as I'm putting in. And I just, I just want to say to you very lovingly and kindly, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen with this woman. Um, you will only hurt yourself if you continue to be as like, radiating availability and desire and forlorn hope at her that will not result in increased well-being increased like self-respect um increased self-esteem and an increased sense of my life is going the way that i want it to go yeah and in that vein i would want to caution against the hopelessness coming from the long distance part i'm biased here but i think the it's 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 really important to note that it's it's hopeless because of the situation she's partnered having a baby like she does not see you the same way that you see her um but yeah i agreed also like the fact that she could cultivate this friendship speaks gallons speaks gallons to uh <laughs> yes, <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> to her ability to Heard do it that first. to others <laughs> right coined and minted and i know a minute ago i just said your feelings are hopeless and you said your feelings are hopeless and in one specific thing that's true i don't believe that this woman is going to you know uh, take her baby leave her husband and fly around the world to join you but they're not hopeless in the sense that like this connection is real and meaningful um it happened it's real and you did that um, and it also means that you will be able to do that again in the future. And it is possible that after you take that step back, go to therapy, set some good boundaries that you might need to set so that you're not kind of constantly checking to see if she's online or texting or whatever it is that you might normally do to see what she's doing at any given moment. Um, when you move some of those um, energies into different parts of your life, um, it, it may be that your crush becomes slightly less massive and all-encompassing, and it may be that you two are able to eventually develop a different sort of slightly calmer, um, slightly lower-key friendship, and that you will be able to meet somebody else um, who is a better fit for some of these feelings. So hopeless in the sense that I think the specific desired outcome is probably not likely to happen, um, but not hopeless in the sense that this means you are doomed to a life of loneliness and that this is the only time you're going to experience a connection like the one you're having right now. And good luck. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I always have a lot of sympathy for someone who's just got a lot of feelings. Yep, like, me too. High on feelings, low <laughs> on hope. Yep. I've spent most of my life just waiting around in a pool of feelings. Uh, <laughs> That's a and lot. Just... <laughs> and it always feels like in this moment and at this certain sort of inflection point in a relationship, it always feels like I will never feel better or I will never find someone as special or I, this is sort of a loss that will sort of always feel terrible and never be fixed. I mean, there, but there will be more people. And I think that if you spend the energy that you're spending right now on um, on your relationship with this woman, on trying to really pursue those things that um, in your community that bring you joy, you will be able to develop more connections in the future. This, um, you know, 
time and space heals all wounds. And um, this, you know, the relationship that you have right now, it says great things about your ability to develop connections with other people. And we wish you the best. Yep. And, you know, if you have a friend or two in the area um, or even another friend who's long distance but doesn't know this person, um, you you can certainly, if if you feel like you trust that person to keep this confidential, you can say, I have a long distance friend who is very, very unavailable um, and I have romantic feelings for them and it's hard for me and I'm trying to figure out how to set good boundaries and, and deal with these feelings in a way that do not involve uh, making myself available to her 24-7 or telling her because I, I know that that would be inappropriate. Um, then that might be helpful to you. Again, that doesn't mean find some other friend and make them the person you talk about this to 24-7 because that would not be good for that friendship. But, you know, that would be another good outlet. I'm basically just letter writer trying to help you figure out where you can talk about this that's not this woman because my biggest fear for you (laughs) uh, is my, my two biggest fears are this. One is you tell her and she's blindsided and she's like, I am happily married and I have a baby. No, thank you. Or the other is that you just try, try really, really hard to be this version of yourself that you think will make her fall in love with you by virtue of how great you're trying to be. And you do this for a very long time. Um, because I have tried in in past times in my life to make a person fall in love with me by just being so great and so constantly available and so ready to meet all of their needs that they would just magically decide they needed to leave their boyfriend and, uh, you know, move to the country with me. And that did not work even a little bit. (laughs) Well, there's also the third door, which is where you convince yourself that you're okay with this plateau that you're at, that you can, that this friendship and and kind of pining for someone is fulfilling enough that you want to stay in this situation, which I've also done in my oh yeah i don't mind this is fine i'm not bleeding i'm yeah. not like <laughs> spoiler uh, alert it's excruciating in the long term yeah, yeah like in a zombie movie when someone's been bitten by a zombie obviously <laughs> but they're pretending they have it like they won't take their jacket off right. and they're very quiet and it's just like everything's normal here and it's always like you got bitten by a zombie and you have right. 20 minutes to live you are not fine everyone else can see you're pale and ashen but you're still trying to yeah oh, walk around all right The subject of this one, I forgot to write, so the subject is just blank. That's on me, (laughs) friends. So subject, you'll find out. Dear Prudence, I'm a 22-year-old man, and I recently got into a relationship for the first time in my life. I was painfully shy and awkward around women in high school and college, and only recently felt mature enough to start dating and having sex. I've been dating a 23-year-old woman for five months now, and it's also her first relationship. She's wanted to have sex with me from the beginning, but I waited until recently because I didn't feel comfortable. She was completely understanding and wonderful about the whole thing. The problem is that once we started having sex, I discovered I have a medical issue that makes sex difficult, not usually pleasurable, and sometimes painful. I can have surgery to correct it, but it would require abstaining from sex for months afterwards. I feel awful about that. I already made her wait months to have sex, and now she'll have to wait even longer. To add insult to injury, I'm finishing my grad program this year and then possibly moving, which means the rest of our relationship could be sexless. I don't know how to approach this. I love her and I want to be with her, but if I have the surgery, I feel like I'm trapping her in a dead-end relationship. What can I do? Oh my God, this is another really easy question because letter writer, you are being so mean to yourself. (laughs) I know. That's Yes. Yes. My answer is get the surgery and forgive yourself like holy smokes and i love the the he uses the word i'm trapping her in a dead end relationship it sounds like you met somebody who really really liked you who um you 
was willing to sort of work with your timeline and was excited to do so because she liked you so much, you have not hoodwinked her into a relationship. I was going to say hoodwinked. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I guess this is why we're dating. Um, and But you, you haven't hoodwinked her into a relationship. She wants to be with you. Um, and if this is such an insurmountable issue for her that, um, you know, it, it this is sort of a situation, like, you know, the circumstances are what they are. Um, but you have not trapped her and you have not hoodwinked her. Um, and if this is the end, that's really unfortunate. Um, it sounds like there may be structural reasons that this will end anyways. Um, maybe not, but it, they're, they're, you're, you're not trapping her. No, not even a little bit. This is not... Uh, l- let's flip this on its head, my friend. Let's say you're in the exact same relationship, but, you know, a little bit into having sex, your girlfriend found out she had a medical condition that made sex difficult, uh, generally not pleasurable, and sometimes painful for her. Based on your letter, based on how, like, empathetic and thoughtful you sound to me, I don't think you would want to have a lot of sex with her under those conditions. I don't think that that would be terms upon which you would be willing to have sex. If you knew she was uncomfortable and sometimes in pain and having a really difficult time getting through it, you would not be like, who cares? I get to have sex. You would say, my partner's not enjoying herself and I want her to. And I want her to take all the time that she needs to heal. And that's not a punishment or a withholding. That's just sometimes life is complicated. Um, So think of yourself in this moment as you would think about it if it were her. I, I, you do not sound like the kind of guy who would be like, well, this is really difficult for me. Um, you know, you, you didn't make her wait months to have sex. Um, you weren't ready to have sex. And you said, I'd like to wait. And she said, absolutely. I understand it. And I'm wonderful. So she wasn't lying in those moments. She wasn't like telling you what she thought you wanted to hear, but secretly being like, man, if he doesn't put out soon, I'm going to be a a real jerk about it. Like she cares about you. She also came to this with like a a certain degree of reserve and caution and wanting to be patient. Um, and, And now, you know, what you're asking is, would you be willing to wait to sleep together later so I can enjoy it? Medically speaking. I think if she is as good and as wonderful and caring a person as you say she is, she would not want to have sex with you regularly under the conditions that you mostly didn't enjoy it and sometimes hurt. Right. And I, I, I sure wouldn't want that. Right. And I think it's also important to think the fact that sex is not like the the end goal of the relationship. It's not like we're all in Candyland and sex is Gumdrop Island or whatever, and we have to get up to that point. Like it's not the currency of the relationship. Like there are many other fulfilling parts of the relationship, right? And and especially if what you mean is like you don't want to have a completely like um, a, a relationship where any form of sex and sexuality is totally off the table. Like um, you know, while you are recovering from surgery, like there are lots of ways to be intimate. Like yes. you can hold her as she gets off and it can be either very like, you know, like kind right. of like fun and yep. gross or it can be sort of like, oh, I love you. This is so tender. We're in yeah. a meadow. Like you can take whatever <laughs> vibe you need for it um, and like be there for her in ways that do not involve like standard issue penis and vagina sex. That, yes, so, that's exactly what I was going to say is that, is, you know, I don't know exactly what your surgery is and what the um, sort of 
what the you're gonna have right. hands, you're gonna have a mouth, <laughs> right? There's there's you're a lot have a more to life to buy toys. Like <laughs> there's a lot more to life than penis and vagina sex. And this actually could, if this is something that you haven't been exploring, this we could do be have a some gift. lesbians on the air. <laughs> These like... lesbians think this is an opportunity, <laughs> and that this could be a gift to everyone involved. Agreed. <laughs> yeah, and again, recovering from surgery, you may not feel like. There may be a couple of days where you're like, actually, I'm just going to be lying on the couch today. That's not to say that you then have to make up for it by becoming like the master of eating her out. Um, <laughs> but that uh, there are lots of ways for you two to continue to be sexually intimate in a different way uh, while like, you know, good old fashioned, you know, sex classic uh, is off the table, and I'm like trying to make a new Coke and Coke I was classic. Thinking, yeah, oh, I was thinking it's like Sega or something. Which, like. yeah, Sega, Coke, whatever, as long <laughs> right. as it's some sort of like. Well, I don't think Gumdrop Island is actually the endpoint of Candyland, so this is you know just a runaway train. I didn't yeah. feel the need to die on that hill. Yeah, <laughs> you, you sound like a great guy, letter writer. Your girlfriend sounds like a great person. Um, it sounds like you would like to have this surgery so that you do not have to experience this like physical pain and discomfort. And I think you deserve that. And mm-hmm. I think that that does not mean that you are punishing her or that it will somehow make your whole relationship a waste of time if you guys didn't get to nail each other constantly before you went off to grad school. And that there are also ways to nail one another um, that don't directly involve uh, whatever part of you has been operated on. Right. So, you know, talk to her about it. Uh, I, I think pursue the surgery if you think you, it's something that you want and that would be helpful to you. Do not beat yourself up about not being, like, available sexually in this very specific way for this, um, you know, specific amount of time. And I, I think she's going to—she will want this for you. Like, yes. if she cares about you, she will want you to not experience pain during sex. That the is a no-brainer. pass quickly and then go to town. Yeah, and, you know— <laughs> Yeah, like, go forth and and, and enjoy this. Like, We're rooting for you yes. in a big way. You've got the lesbians on your team, my <laughs> man. <laughs> All right, you want to take this next letter? I shall. All right, uh, the subject line is work-life balance. Dear Prudence, I'm a single, divorced 40-year-old dating the best guy in my life so far, except he's impeding my work. Due to conflicts of interest with his work, I have to recuse myself from the best parts of my job. Except I'm not sure it's worth it. It's been three years, and we're at a relationship plateau. I've not been able to switch jobs. I've tried. But he could easily find other work. How should I think about my relationship versus my personal life? I'm no spring chicken anymore. For the record, we're pretty open uh, about our feelings, but it doesn't seem to be getting me anywhere. He's still not divorced. After five years separated, we don't live together because he's concerned about the impact to his daughter. So... The interesting I feel like a lot of information was backloaded in this letter. Yes. Yes. It started out best guy. <laughs> right. And then by the end. And then the tone shift rapidly. Um, yeah. I, I think what's more important here, I mean, the job thing is important, but I think that's a secondary consideration to the fact that you need to talk to this guy about the fact that you don't seem to be on the same page. The relationship has plateaued. You say you're both pretty communicative. Um, but he has not he's he hasn't divorced yet. He's been separated five years. You don't live together. It seems like it's not heading to the place that you want it to head to. And he is not as concerned as you are. So I think first and foremost, there needs to be a conversation. Um, then you can start to plan your careers around that. But that's the second thing you have to do. The conversation is the first. Right. And you say, by the way, that you're pretty open about your feelings, but it doesn't seem to get you anywhere, which tells me that the key to future conversations needs to be you articulating, here is what I need. Here is what I want. 
If you are willing to work with me on this, that is fantastic. And if you are not, that is sufficient information for me to decide whether or not I still want to be in this relationship. Sometimes I think I hear a lot from people who get trapped in relationships with somebody who uh, they've been with for a long time, they care about a lot, and who can kind of spin out a situation indefinitely, indefinitely by saying, yes, we should talk about this. Oh, I do agree. It's kind of an issue. And then do nothing. And then you, the person who wants something to change, is sort of constantly agitating for some sort of change. And they know enough to not say outright no, um, but they also know that as long as they kind of keep things vague, you won't ever push the issue. Um, And it sounds like some of the reason you might not be pushing this issue is you say you're not a spring chicken anymore, which seems to me to imply a certain attitude about yourself that may not be extremely helpful when it comes to making decisions. Because if you think I'm not a spring chicken and only spring chickens get to leave relationships that aren't working and non-spring chickens have to stay in relationships until they become nightmares, I I think you will put yourself in the way of unhappiness and and unnecessary (laughs) unhappiness at that. So let's put aside the fact that you're divorced. Let's put aside the fact that you're Ooh, 40. Um, like, so I, I don't mean to tease you. I just mean, like, don't be so hard on yourself. 40 is not like. That's barely a fall chicken. Y- you know what I mean? You are a robust early summer chicken full of promise and hope. Um, you're a great chicken, my friend. Um, and and if you feel like his this relationship negatively impacts my work, he could kind of easily change it, but isn't willing to. Um, I would like to move ahead in our relationship, possibly live together, possibly get married. He is taking no steps toward getting divorced and doesn't want to live together. You know, that's a that's a number of things to be bringing to the table and saying, like, I want these things. Do you have any interest in them? And if his answer is not really or like, yeah, to get you off my back, but he takes no steps, then I think you have enough information to decide I might rather be single for a while and really enjoy my career to the fullest and look for a partner who wants some more of the same things that I do than stay in a relationship where we talk a lot, but nothing changes, even when I've really expressed, hey, this thing that you could easily change that would really help me out, you're not doing. Yeah. And I think that when they have a conversation where she can sort of explicitly say, hey, I've noticed we're not really moving forward. I would like to move forward and, and you know, take some steps that might include cohabitation. Who knows? Maybe they include merit, marriage. And, 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 and to not couch it in maybe and might. Like they've been yeah, together yes, for three years. Yes. I think she knows she would like yes, to get married and yes, live together. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I think that when she explicitly says that, the nice thing is that if he says yes, then you can respond with, okay, well, then these are concrete steps that then we need to take if yes. that is true. And because there's – you can judge him by his actions um, because if he's – you know, he's still not divorced after five years separated. If he does want to move towards cohabitation and marriage, that is something he will have to do. And so, therefore, if he says, yes, I do want to get more serious, take this to the next level, but he does not follow through with that very specific and measurable actions, then I think then you have your answer there. Um, And it would be one thing if you said this relationship is the most amazing thing, is perfect every way. It has this negative uh, influence on my professional life where I don't like my job as much because of some of the problems um, that, you know, because of the conflict of interest things, you know, then – you might have some decisions about your job, but don't, you know, if if the relationship isn't isn't moving forward in the way that you want, if you're not deriving um, what you need from it, 
And then it's also sort of, it's making your job less enjoyable, too. That's a couple of pretty big things. Yeah. That sucks. That doesn't mean, like, dump him tomorrow. But right. it means, like, make it really clear that these are three important issues for you um, and that you would like to make decisions as a couple about them in the near future. Mm-hmm. And if his if he just knows enough to say yes to get you off his back and then does nothing, that's your answer. Um, if he says, no, I have no interest in those things, that's your answer, too. Um, and even if he says, OK, I'm willing to do X, Y and Z, if those things don't in any way line up with what you want, that's your answer, too. And so you say he's the best guy in your life so far. And all that tells me is that everyone else you've dated has been worse. That actually doesn't tell me how great he is. And I know sometimes if somebody is like heads and shoulders above the rest, it can kind of feel like I should really take what I can get. But it doesn't really matter what your other exes were like in comparison with him. What matters is, are you getting what you need and want out of this relationship right now? And I think what you're looking for are all fairly reasonable things. It's not like you're asking for something really unusual or hard to find. Um, And it's totally reasonable, even if he is a great guy. You know, if his thing is just like, I really want to date somebody um, who doesn't want to move in with me and is not necessarily looking to get married, that's fine for him to be looking for that. And it's fine if after three years you're like, we are not compatible on this issue. We got to part ways. Yeah, for me, it's it's. It's the happiness thing. It's it's are you happy? And it sounds like there are many things right now from job to him that are less than optimal. It's like the in the office when Michael Scott says, you know, I'm unhappy when I'm with her. And, you know, she has low, she has small chesticles. And they're like, wait, go back one. That's what it is. It's, you know, it, you don't seem happy with this arrangement right now. I'm so unhappy that someone has said the word chesticles on the show. Like, it- and of course it's a lesbian. I'm just quoting. Uh. This is, I want you two to just like become permanent guests. Oh, this is lovely. Uh, we're going to hold you to that in writing as soon we'll as we'll just hang out. I feel like daily. the Bay Area is sort of like halfway between DC and Los Angeles. Yeah. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, that's how you, when you got to LA, she took a flight from San Francisco. So yeah. she Feels already like knows the way. Yeah. <laughs> I do have an extra guest room. Just saying. I'm we could into kind it. of, Ugh, we could kind of regret, take over the world. You're going to regret the seriousness. I will take. All of your <laughs> offhand suggestions. Yes, just a bunch of queer advice givers taking over. Oh, I did, did you want the last thing. Yeah, just to the the to what I who I believe is still a spring chicken. I just want to say best of cluck to you. Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you, dude. Please move in with me immediately, both of you. We need to get a commune. This, we're best friends now. It's all, it's all over. Oh, it feels right. good to laugh again. Oh, this last letter is called Good News Guilt, which is always exciting because, you know, we should actually put this last letter writer in touch with a woman who owns her own home and her parents oh, are like, yes. oh, that's yes. dangerous. Yes. yes. Oh, this is perfect. Oh, man. All right. Good News Guilt. Dear Prudence, I'm in my early 20s uh, and have recently applied to grad school. It was incredibly nerve wracking for me, partially because of my anxiety disorder. The responses are starting to come in, and I've gotten two offers of admission with great funding. I'm ecstatic, and I really want to celebrate, but I have no one to celebrate with. I've shared the news with my immediate family, and the response wasn't what I'd hoped. Some of my siblings are much younger than me, and I don't expect them to completely understand, but my parents' and my adult sister's reaction really hurt me. My family's emotionally reserved, and they don't quite understand how competitive these programs are or how anxious the process has made me feel, but their complete lack of enthusiasm stung. My friends would be excited for me, but I haven't told any of them yet because they're all having really difficult periods in their lives. They're dealing with everything from caring for an ill parent or grandparent to losing their job to dealing with debilitating physical and mental illnesses. It feels insensitive to share good news when they're struggling and I want to support them as much as I can. 
But I'm also going to have to tell them eventually, and I would really like some support from the people I care about. How do I deal with my desire to share my excitement while supporting my friends? I First think, of all, letter yeah, writer, we'd like to celebrate with you. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. congratulations. <laughs> you have Did you three? say congratulations with a D in it? Um, oh. I didn't gosh, intend to, but That's good. I... That's good. Often fall short. And so <laughs> I apologize. Um, congratulations, letter writer. <laughs> Don't force it. I mean. Oh, my God. Now, now she, Was that no, all? You just wanted to say congratulations? <laughs> That's mostly. your full advice? Now we're mortarboard. Come on. Um, <sighs> Motherfucker. <laughs> Sorry. Carry on. Uh, um, That's really good. Thanks. Thanks. This it really does remind me a little bit of the letter that we had earlier from the 29 year old homeowner where um, first, sorry that you're not getting the reaction um, that you hope from your parents. Um, And I hope that you are able to to this is something that's really exciting. And I hope that their sort of lack of enthusiasm for your news doesn't diminish your own um, excitement um, about this because it shouldn't. And I also think. It sounds like you're being really, really sensitive about the needs and the feelings of all of your friends right now. Um, From my experience, when I'm having a tough time, I generally am able to compartmentalize and still be excited for my friends when good things happen to them. Right. Um, And I think that you, if you, even when you tell your friends about this, I I think that they'll be able to uh, celebrate um, and congratulate you with with genuine happiness for you. Yeah, I think, too, especially just given how you, you do sound sensitive, you do sound thoughtful. My guess is you're not planning on dropping this news as someone's like, you know, as I was uh, caring for my dying grandmother this afternoon. And you're like, by the <laughs> I way, went into Dartmouth. Yeah. So, you know, as long as you're bringing it up at a time when they're not trying to share something painful with you, I think they might actually really enjoy hearing something good. Sometimes when you're going through a difficult time, it can feel like everybody only wants to talk to you about very serious things or they treat you with kid gloves. And again, as long as it's done sensitively and not at a really inappropriate time, it can be kind of nice to like feel excited about somebody else's happiness. Um, I, I don't think most of your friends who are currently dealing with, like, ill relatives or dealing with illness of their own or struggling with unemployment um, don't ever – you know, it's different, too. Like, with a friend who's unemployed, that might be one you would want to handle a little more sensitively because these two things are so connected. Um, but, again, I don't think you should frame it as, like, an apology or, like, not tell them. I think you should just say, hey, um, I just wanted you to know I'm really excited. I'm getting into some good grad programs. Um, and I also want to hear more about how you're doing. Maybe we can get coffee sometime. Uh, but the the other people – especially who are dealing with totally unrelated issues of health or, or family, um, I think they will welcome this news. And I think just because your family had a sort of painful response does not mean that your friends will. Uh, because I'm assuming you have not chosen friends who are as reserved and, and a little bit less supportive than they could be as your family is. Um, and yeah, congratulations. It's still really exciting. It sounds like you, you're kind of aware that your family is a little reserved and that they're not really familiar with your graduate work, which probably means that that will be a bit of a pattern. Doesn't mean you can't always say like, hey, I just really want to reiterate. I'm so excited. I, I didn't talk about this a lot, but this process was actually really hard for me. I felt incredibly anxious and I'm so relieved that I've gotten offers with funding. Um, and I just really wanted you to know this has actually been very difficult for me and I'm, I'm feeling kind of overwhelmed and happy. Um, and yeah. 
that that maybe will kind of clue them in. Um, and if that produces a more robust response, that's great. Uh, and then if it doesn't, you can kind of decide, do I want to try to have the kind of relationship with my family where I sometimes push and say, hey, I just want you to know, I don't think you meant to, but it kind of hurt me how reserved you were about my announcement. Or do you want to say, you know, these seem to be my family's pretty serious limitations. Um, I'm going to, you know, dial back my expectations of them accordingly and look for that support elsewhere. I think either one of those options is totally fine and really up to you depending on how much work you want to put into improving your relationship with your family members. And also, someone as someone who comes from a family of introverts, also, just because they're reserved does not mean that they're not proud of you. I mean, I obviously don't know the situation, but they could be celebrating in their own kind of quiet, tepid, lukewarm way on the inside. Um, so. Quietly drinking iced tea. Right, exactly. It's <laughs> Saying, huzzah. <laughs> well done. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with all of this. I think, and and congratulations, and and also, and this is Jillian's idea, but she she had mentioned earlier that it might be a good idea to throw. I didn't want to take it as my own to throw a party for the friends who are having a hard time, or like a oh, not throw them. a party. That's not what that was. Okay, not what why my don't idea you do it then? <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's a bit much. It begins. <laughs> Or invite them to dinner. You know, like say I have some exciting news. We haven't, you know, we can get together. Um, No, I will break the two of you up. (laughs) (laughs) Only one Um, will exit. No, but especially for some, especially for some of your friends who are in real caretaker roles right now, they may welcome a distraction. Um, Take them out for dinner. Say I, you know, want to celebrate. you know, my grad school program. Um, and I also want you to have a fun night out uh, for yourself. And so the two of us are going to go out, grab dinner, maybe it's lunch, something like that, and treat them. And I think that... Um, Depending on how great yeah. your funding was. you know? Right, right. Exactly. You may yeah. be treating them to, yeah. you know, your half company. a burrito. Exactly. <laughs> you can always go to CVS and split a hummus cup or something like that as my go-to budget meal. Um, they sell hummus cups for a lot cheaper <laughs> at grocery outlets than at a pharmacy. Oh, oh well, this that is makes great sense. news. Yeah. yeah. Um, Just, you know, you're going to be a grad student. Even if you do have great, great funding, never right. hurts to find cheaper hummus. Fair. <laughs> it doesn't. Um, but so, yeah. So uh, I think that you will be, I hope that you are pleasantly surprised by the reaction of your friends. And I think you, I think you will be. Um, I think that they are that they're likely to be very happy for you. Same. And you get to be excited for yourself. That's the other thing. Regardless of anybody else. Like that is a legitimately wonderful accomplishment. You should be proud, excited. Just let yourself feel that completely. Agreed. Guys, we did it. Oh wow. <laughs> this is the end. We helped everyone. Whew. How would you compare your relationship, the strength of it now versus Ooh. when you two walked in? I mean, the last bit really kind of shook us up. We're going to have to have some talks about that. But uh... are you sure? I didn't feel that way. (laughs) (laughs) Communication issues. Before we leave, would y'all care to share the story of how you two met? I'll let Jillian take that. (laughs) Um, I wish that listeners could have seen my face when these two gasped at the exact same time. It was beautiful. Um, So... uh, Lucy and I were long-term Tinder pen pals um, who met because – so we live on opposite sides of the coast. I'm in Washington, D.C. I'm doing a lot of swiping, as you do in your mid-20s. And and I was in Los Angeles visiting D.C. for my brother's wedding. And when you're, you know, on a blowout couch in your parents' basement, what else are you going to do? what is a blowout couch? (laughs) Do you mean a blow-up couch? Because a blowout is like a a wild party, right? Like – It was on Tinder. Uh (laughs) I'm gonna I'm gonna own this one. Please do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was swiping. Um, didn't really notice that we'd matched. Came back to LA, um, and then got a message from Jillian. And we just kind of started talking for a long time. Do you remember yeah. what she said? 
Uh, yes. So I had written in my profile about how I am uh, very well informed about game night shows on or game nights on sitcoms, you okay. know, friends, community, that kind of thing. And she asked me for my favorite one and I sent her back a long exegesis on my favorite ones, um, which usually scares off other Tinder people because they don't like long paragraphs. Um, but she kept talking. Not me. I love to read <laughs> about television um, <laughs> on your phone. But yeah, so we uh, hit it off, had great banter. And then I went back to her profile to uh, double check right before. I would ask her to drinks and saw she was 2,500 miles away and <laughs> asked her, this would be an awkward question, but are you on the West Coast right now? Um, but so we had great podcast recommendations for each other, great content exchanges, kept talking, and several years later, here we are. <laughs> Giving advice together. It's so wonderful. Healing the world. Making, making terrible puns. puns. Yep, that's important. Um, she has to listen to these all the time. I mean, I get to listen. She's a very to them lucky all woman. Time. You're both oh, that's nice. Very lucky women, and I'm very happy for you. And if you two ever decide you want to get married, please do it on the podcast. Oh, lovely. <laughs> because I want to take Deal. partial credit for yes. relationships. <laughs> uh, all right, thank you both so much for being on the show. Thank, thank you. you. Come back soon. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Max Jacobs. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate Plus. Go to slate.com slash plus to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327. And you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds. A minute tops. Thanks for listening. Looking for more from Slate? Amicus is Slate's show about the law and, of course, the Supreme Court. Dahlia Lithwick explores court decisions, arguments, and the justices on the bench to shine a light on litigation in the time of Trump. Get deep into the legal weeds and hear some of the nation's greatest legal minds dissect what's going on in the courts in the country. You'll find a new episode in your podcast feed every other Saturday morning. <laughs> 